Please open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. And as you're turning there, question for you, are you fruitful? How full of fruit are you? Fruit and fruitfulness are a major theme in Scripture. The very first command that was given in the garden to Adam and Eve, be fruitful. As God's people, we are supposed to be full of fruit. Jesus spoke of it often. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, he was speaking of, of the fruit primarily of false prophets, but the corollary is also true of, of being known, uh, of having good fruit as well. So every healthy tree, Jesus says, bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So the fruit that, that we produce, the fruit that we are full of, is telling. It tells folks about who we are, about who we belong to. Another famous passage, Jesus speaking about this, recorded in John, uh, John chapter 15. I'm the vine, he says, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So fruit, fruitfulness, bearing fruit, it's a big deal. And so the thoughtful Christian is going to take this seriously and give a lot of thought to what it means to bear fruit. And if that's you, then you've probably paid close attention to the verses we're looking at today, the fruit of the Spirit. This list of virtues, which is set against the list that we looked at last week, the works of the flesh. And when we keep these two lists in their context, it really ups the ante on just how vital these fruit of the Spirit are. Because we saw last week that the ongoing presence of the works of the flesh in a person's life, the ongoing presence without war, without battle, without struggle, means that that person does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Right? If the works of the flesh are the, are the settled pattern of someone's life, they are evidence that the person does not belong to the Father. And so the flip side of that is also true. The ongoing presence and pattern of the fruit of the Spirit in a person's life is evidence that they do belong to the Father. Or, or to use Jesus' words from John 15, the presence of the fruit of the Spirit proves 
that a person is a disciple of the Lord Jesus. So needless to say that we understand these fruit and see their presence in our lives increase is of paramount importance. So stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word. We're going to look closely at two verses this morning, but I'm reading a bigger paragraph so that we keep the context in view. Beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. May God bless the preaching of His inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative Word. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, would you help us this morning? Would you indeed open the eyes of our hearts that we sang earlier? That we might see Jesus. That we might see his gospel, this glorious gospel of grace with greater clarity, with greater conviction, with greater confidence and assurance. Would you help us to see the necessity and some about the means of how The Holy Spirit is to produce His fruit in our lives. Help us to understand this, we pray in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. Please be seated. So two verses this morning and four questions to help us get a handle on the fruit of the Spirit. You have an outline in your worship folder. The first question is, why fruit? Why would Paul call these things fruit? He called his last list works, right? Verse 19 last week, it was works of the flesh that are evident. But here in verse 22, it's fruit of the Spirit. Now, is this difference significant? I think that it is. There are many reasons why Paul's use of the word fruit here is so very fitting for what he's talking about. So let's start as basic as we can, right? The fruit of the Spirit are supposed to grow. They're supposed to be more and more evident in the life of the Christian. All right, so that's basic. Let's get super basic just to be safe. First, we need to establish, what do I mean when I say Christian? Right? The fruit of the Spirit are supposed to grow. They're supposed to be evident in the life of a Christian. So we're not talking generically about a good person. 
right? We're not talking about being nice. We're not talking about following the rules, trying to live right. That's not what I mean when I say Christian. Now, what I mean when I say Christian is someone who's been rescued by grace. Someone who's come to the point where they realize that they were in rebellion against their Creator. Trying to do things their way instead of God's way. And by doing so had earned death. They've realized this rebellion and they've come to see that for no other reason than that he loved us, Jesus came in response to our rebellion, lived a perfect life in our place, and died the death that we had earned for ourselves. Took upon himself our punishment, suffered the wrath of God in our place, and gave us all of those benefits freely without us having to lift a finger before we ever even thought about trying to clean up our act or do the first good deed. That is precisely what I mean when I say Christian, someone who's been freely rescued by the grace of Jesus simply because he loves us. Now, the fruit of the Spirit are supposed to grow in the life of said Christian. So we've been freely saved just as we are without having to clean up our act, without without us having to do anything. That's the first act, if you will, of grace. That's the act one of grace is unconditional rescue. But grace comes in two acts. And act two of grace is radical transformation. See, grace saves us just as we are. But the grace that saves us doesn't leave us where we are. See, it's unconditional acceptance and radical transformation. We've been rescued, and now our lives will begin to be changed from the inside out. Now, that is admittedly a lot of background, but it's vitally important. If these things, if this fruit is supposed to grow, are supposed to grow in our lives now that we've been rescued, how does that happen? And part of his answer Paul gives us is that he uses the word fruit. And that tells us tons about how this happens. So think about fruit. Uh, More specifically, let's think about apples. I want to grow me an apple. And so I've got a seed. And so I dig a hole and I plant it and I water it and voila, instant apples. Right? Not exactly. Right? That process is slow. That's the first thing we should think about when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, when we think about our our growth and our change as Christians. Paul said fruit, (laughs) and fruit grows slow. 
the Spirit's work in the Christian, the things He grows in us, changes in us and about us, will take time. Quite a bit of time, actually. Getting apples from planting an apple seed, you know how long that takes? Eight to ten years. It's slow. And it can't easily be be seen. It can't easily be perceived with the naked eye. right? If If you plant that seed in your backyard and you pull up a chair and you stare at that patch of dirt where you planted the seed, what are you going to see? Absolutely nothing. You're not going to see anything for a very, very long time. And that's what it's often like for us, waiting to see growth, waiting to see change in our lives, and it can be discouraging. We watch and we wait and we wait and we watch, and it seems like nothing is happening. But just because we don't see anything on the surface doesn't mean that he isn't at work deep down. With a planted seed or with growth and change in our lives, the easiest way to see and measure that growth is over a long period of time. Sitting in the backyard and staring at the dirt isn't going to reveal anything. But come back in six months. Can you see anything then that's changed? Yeah, look at that little thing. Come back in another year or two. Any difference you can detect now? Sure. Remember, apples, eight to ten years, right? See, the Bible uses tons of agricultural references and metaphors, word pictures, and they're so good to remind us that we're not in control. It's slow and we're not in control. What can you do when you plant? You, you plant and then you wait. Will it rain? I don't know. Will it grow? Will it sprout? Will it grow? Will it produce? See, it's out of our hands. And and that makes us uncomfortable at times. It makes us impatient a lot of times, right? Maybe four or five years into this whole apple tree business, we're thinking, it's there, but where are the apples? Right? And and we'll we'll get into a lot more of this next week because I want to delve into a little bit more of the process next week. But we're staring at that tree. It's come out of the ground. It's grown quite a bit. There's still no apples, right? The temptation is great to just run up to Hendersonville and get a couple of pecks of apples and hang them on the tree like ornaments at Christmas time. Look, apples on my tree, right? Until they rot. But again, we'll save more of that for next week. Uh, But let me say one more important thing about fruit. It's so good that Paul said fruit here. Once you finally see apples on your tree, you say, oh, finally I've got some apples. Do those apples cause the tree to live? 
do those apples give life to the tree? And of course the answer is no. The apples prove that the tree is alive and healthy and well and doing what an apple tree is made to do. So it is with the fruit of the Spirit. When we finally see growth and change in our lives, that growth and change does not save us. That growth and change is produced because we are saved. That growth and change proves that we already have been saved. The fruit that we bear, the fruit that we are full of, doesn't give us life. It proves that we're already alive. Now, that might seem like a minor distinction to you, but understanding that distinction means the difference between a life of freedom and joy on the one hand or a life of bondage and slavery on the other. Why fruit? Second question, whose fruit? Now this is super simple and way too easy to overlook and get wrong. This list is the fruit of the Spirit. Right? This is not a how-to guide. This is not a to-do list. These aren't even commands to follow. Right? This does not say, be loving, be joyful, be more patient. But I'm afraid that far too often that's how we see this list. We see this list, the fruits of the Spirit. Maybe that's perhaps what you thought when you first saw it, when I read it this morning. Fruits of the Spirit. First response, ugh, feel condemned. Feel shame because there's so little of it in my life. Second response, ugh, I need to get busy. Those are probably our, our two most natural instinctive responses to this list. Man, I've got to make it a point to be nicer. Gosh, I need to be more loving. Definitely need to be more patient. Got to work on that. But see, that would make it the fruit of John Mark or the fruit of Debbie or the fruit of Henry. And that's not the picture and the description that Paul has given us. See, taken in their, in their full context, right? back this list out to what we've been talking about in the last few weeks. The fruit here is the byproduct of war, of battle, right? specifically of battle won. This is like spoil that comes from having won a battle. It's just that you and I aren't the ones fighting the battle, right? Remember, the battle is between the flesh and the spirit. They're the ones doing battle, verse 17, right? They're, they're set at odds with one another. They're constantly warring with each other. And of course, it's the spirit who wins. And when he wins, he gives us the spoil of that victory, namely, Growth and change, fruit. 
right? That is probably the number one reason for how discouraging this process feels at times. When we think to ourselves, there's never going to be any fruit in my life. I'm never going to change. I'm never going to get better. I keep trying and trying, and nothing is happening. That was, I think, Paul's problem that he expresses with such emotion in Romans 7. Right? This battle is raging inside of him, and it's making him sick. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And the abundance of the first person pronoun there is very telling. I do this. I can't do this. I, I, I. See, in his own strength, Paul is not getting anywhere. And he he understands, he seems to realize in verse 18... Right? He lacks the ability to carry it out. If you're busy trying to do this list on your own, if you're busy trying to be kinder and gentler and more patient and more loving, you're in a, for a long road of discouragement. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not your fruit. It's not my fruit. Question three, how many fruits? Did you notice that it says fruit singular, not fruits plural? See, verse 19 was plural works. It's the works of the flesh. But 22, here it is, it's a singular fruit, but then a list of nine things. Right? What is going on here? As, as we try to figure that out, it's probably helpful for us to be clear about what we're not talking about when we talk about fruits of the Spirit, right? So when we talk about fruit of the Spirit, uh, we're not talking about functions of personality and temperament, right? Uh, some people are just a little more laid back than others, not as tightly wound, right? They might come off as, as being more patient or being more kind, Right? Some folks have this syrupy sweetness about them. They're just so sweet and so gentle and kind. And and maybe even that comes across as being loving. Some folks are very disciplined by nature. They're avid rule keepers. It might seem, it might come across as, well, they're very self-controlled. But see, those are... Those are tendencies. Those are propensities. Those are functions of personality and temperament. Uh, That's not fruit of the Spirit. That's not what we're talking about here. Uh, We're also not talking about spiritual gifts. All right? That's another important but separate category where every believer has been given by the Spirit 
gifts, things that, that the Spirit has made them especially good at for life and for ministry in the kingdom. And that's not what we're talking about either. Because our gifts are varied, right? We've each got different gifts, perhaps even different quantities of gifts that the Spirit has given to us. Now, the reason for singular fruit here is to show us that all these things grow together as one. It is the fruit the Spirit produces in the life of a believer. Now, let's touch on the basics again here. All right, earlier how we were saved, how it was that we came to be called Christians. Now, think for a moment, why are you saved? For what purpose has God poured out His grace upon you? To what end? For what purpose? Now, I've mentioned this before. Uh, Romans 8.29 is the verse after one of the most famous verses in the Bible. That everybody just loves, right? But Romans 8.29 is so instructive for us about why he's done all this good for us. Why he's done this saving work. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that. Purpose statement. There's the reason. In order that we might be conformed to the image of his Son. We've been predestined to Christ conformity. And so we're not being conformed to some of Christ. We're not being conformed to bits and pieces of We're being conformed to Christ. And so when we look at this list, we, we can't just dismiss some of the things that seem especially hard. <laughs> And they seem especially unlike us. We can't dismiss them and say, oh, well, that's just who I am. That might be who you are in the flesh. But the Spirit is at war with that flesh over that area of your life that seems so hard and unchangeable and difficult for you. And guess what? Over time... The Spirit will win. See, th this virtue list is not a buffet, right? We can't just pick and choose the ones that we think we'll most likely be able to pull off and show a little improvement in those areas. That's not what we're talking about. The character which Paul is listing here is the character of Christ. This list isn't exhaustive by any means. When you look at these things, whoever has exhibited all these things and, and done so perfectly, and, it, and it's Christ. And, and see, this is the character that Paul has already expressed in this letter earlier on. That's, it's his purpose for ministering to the Galatian people. Back in Galatians 4, right? he said, It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. Not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth. What was he laboring so hard for? Until Christ is formed in you. 
What we're after is the singular fruit of conformity to Christ. And that steals a little bit of the thunder of this last question, and that's okay. The final question, to what end? Right? Why fruit? Whose fruit? Forgot the other one. That's okay. But to what end? Why all this discussion about fruit of the Spirit? Where does the bearing of these fruit, or, or this fruit, leave us? All right. Just like last week with works of the flesh, I'm not, I'm not going to uh, list all these fruit individually and tell you all the nuances of what they mean in Greek and things like that. Uh, we'll look at a few of them in more uh, detail next week when we're talking about more of how this fruit is cultivated and produced in our lives. But I do want you to notice this about the list. How so many of the, these things listed under fruit of the Spirit seem to be redeeming and repairing what the flesh has destroyed, especially in terms of our relationships. And this was a big deal for the Galatian church where they had gotten the gospel wrong and it had caused such dissension and division and quarreling within the church. Right, Because they've got one group trying to live a life based on works of the law and another group trying to live based on their faith in Christ and it has devastated the church and the relationships in the church. And the fruit of the Spirit brings relief to that, brings restoration to that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Second important thing I want you to see, to what end fruit of the Spirit? Well, fruit of the Spirit brings freedom. Right? So much of what this letter is about, freedom, especially freedom from the law. And so we see that in the end of verse 23, right? The end of this list, Paul tacks on, against such things there is no law. So what's going on here? The law, think about the purpose of the law. The, the law is meant to curb and to restrain our behavior, to, to be guardrails, if you will. Do this, don't do this, right? But the Spirit is doing something quite different. When these fruit begin to be produced in our lives, we're no longer in the realm of the law. We're, in, we're operating in a totally different sphere. We no longer need the curbs and the restraints like we once did. Um, a, a few weeks ago, we looked again at the, the passage in Ezekiel 36 and also uh, the Jeremiah passage. It talks about the law being written on our hearts. It talks about the promised spirit who's now inside of us. And what does he do there? He causes us to walk in these statutes. He causes us, enables us to obey. And so another way to look at the Spirit's fruit is in our obedience that He causes, that He enables. Where Paul realized there in Romans 7, I don't have the ability to do this. But the Spirit does. And He gives that ability generously. Finally, to what end? What does the fruit of the Spirit bring? Y'all, it brings tons of confidence and assurance. When we begin to see the fruit being produced in our lives, 
not staring at the dirt, waiting for something to, to poke up, but looking back over time and saying, you know what, I really am a little bit more, and fill in the blank which, with whichever one of those things it is. When you look back at the old you from a couple of years ago, now that you've been walking with the Lord and you say, golly, I really am more patient or loving or kind or whatever it is, what a miracle of the Spirit's power and grace in your life. How amazing is that? There it is, and I didn't do it. He did it in me. I tried for years to change that thing about myself, and I got nowhere. But lo and behold, the Spirit has done it. What confidence that brings to us that we actually do belong to the Father. And the same Spirit that caused that fruit to be produced is the same Spirit that will carry you and I to the end. To the very end. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this amazing work that you have done together for us and in us. We thank you. We praise you. Holy Spirit, we praise you for being the one who does battle with our flesh, the one who is victorious, the one who gives to us as a gift the spoil of that victory, the very fruits that are listed in this list of virtues we have here. Help us to see those fruit in our lives if indeed we do belong to you. Help us to take the long view. Help us not to get discouraged. Help us not to try to take from you your job by trying to produce the fruit ourselves. Help us in all these things we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Please.